0: there we are hi welcome to critical q a for this week let's switch over to where we can see the chat on the screen here there we go and uh you know we're having some uh, winter weather power outage stuff going on here in denver so i am hoping everything goes real super smoothly here but we have had issues in the last 24 hours here there and everywhere And uh, so, anyway, I hope that uh, this is a smooth operation. Everything is set up here for it to be, uh, but just throwing that out there. Um, Anyway, good, excellent. I'm glad everything is coming across well. Um, Yes, the um, (laughs) – I'm glad. Uh, I I know a lot of folks like the lives and uh, the live streams when we do these Q&As live, and I I do too, so – um, so good stuff. Literally right as I was hitting live and getting going, I had two uh, two different calls come in. It's, anyway, it's, uh, um, okay, so I have not yet put the question bar up, so let's get that up there. Sorry about that. Uh, start a QA. and a Put your questions here under this comment. Okay. Start. There we go. All right. So we should see, uh, you should now see in the chat a, um, a comment from me. And if you answer that or put your comments or your questions below that comment, then I will then get them uh, on the screen here so that i can start answering your questions i've also got a couple preset questions from my patreon supporters and viewers that i'm going to be uh throwing in randomly today as well so we can get the ball rolling or we can get get those uh uh going as well (laughs) war on satan wow i didn't see that uh (laughs) the ads that get assigned to my channel sometimes are pretty interesting um Okay, let's see here. There we go. Okay, good. So XSion just put up a... uh, Yeah, here we go. So you guys are getting the questions in the right right spot there. Excellent. Um, So on this happy note, as those questions come in, I guess we should just get right to it, huh? I hope, by the way, that you all got a chance to check out my uh, podcast, the Speaking of Cults podcast that posted yesterday with Dr. Yuval Laor, uh, and he and I did a whole updated show on L. Ron Hubbard and our idea, to, uh, specifically uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Laor's idea, that L. Ron Hubbard possibly suffered from a physical condition of the brain called temporal lobe epilepsy, TLE, And that this condition may well explain a great deal of his behavior. And more importantly, now that it is an understandable and diagnosable and treatable uh, physiological problem that can be solved or dealt with or addressed directly maybe just possibly it could be that as we get more and more awareness of this as a condition that maybe we could actually head off some of these cult leaders and predators uh who get on these you know religious tears and get on these like very extreme i am a supernatural deity and you know i am the super secret sauce deliverer to all humanity and i'm going to save humanity you know these people who get on these roles it could be that they're on a roll like that because of scars or lesions in their brain that can be treated. I mean, it's wild, right? You you, you look at the uh, range of people's behavior and the reasons for it, and they are there's thousands of reasons why people act the way they do. But if we had a physical solution to a incredibly difficult, you know, moral and uh, societal problem by addressing, you know, brain issues that the, that were causing a person to be that way. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't our society possibly be a little different, hopefully not going in any sort of bizarre strange new world direction, but you know, you never know where people are going to go with stuff. But I'm excited by the idea that this is a diagnosable and treatable condition. And it wasn't necessarily so when L. Ron Hubbard was around. But we can look at him as a case study, and we can look at Jim Jones, we can look at lots of people who might possibly be suffering or have suffered from that, and learn an awful lot about why people are the way they are and how we can deal with that. So anyway, I thought that would be something that I would um, promote to y'all, if you go to check that out, it's a really good talk. And we did it uh, in person, we did it right here uh, a few weeks ago. The other thing i wanted to let everybody make sure that you all know about coming up in just a few days uh right here on this channel in three days on uh february 7th we are going to be doing um my uh little little fun live stream not anything uh i don't have any big huge thing planned but i thought um i've got some docs to go over with you and show you that i've never shown anybody before ever um, from my Scientology past because it's 10 years that I've been on YouTube, uh, come February 7th was my first appearance 10 years ago on, uh, Karen De La Carriere's channel, actually, Surviving Scientology, and I started my own channel a few months later, and here we are, uh, so I'm gonna be celebrating that, and I hope you'll join me to celebrate that as well, that'll be February 7th, uh, right here. I'll watch for the link coming on that, and it will be, um, I think I'm going to be doing it around 6 o'clock my time, as, as I think what I planned, 5 or 6 o'clock, so you guys can watch for the link on that, and uh, and I think we'll have some fun. And then also, uh, just a little reminder, February 29th, <sighs> get nervous every time I say this, but February 29th on this channel right here, uh, live stream of the Tone Scale video. Okay, it's finally happening. Uh, that day, it is set in stone. Uh, you know, come hell or high water, uh, I'm, I'm hitting live, and we're doing it. So February 29th, watch for that. Save the date. <laughs> um, and yes, actually, um, okay, let's go ahead and get to these questions, because I've got answers to some of them. <laughs> Some of them already, um, but let me start with. Let's go ahead and flip over to. Um, yes, this is one of the preset questions I wanted to start with here, um, and yeah, you can kind of see me in the little corner there. Uh, on the lighter side of things, this is a question from Stefan. On the, I don't know if it's Stefan or Stefan. I, I I'm, I'm never sure how to pronounce. Uh on the lighter side of things, I have a fun question for you if someone gave you three envelopes with thirty thousand dollars in each one, how would you disperse it um selfishly <laughs> um okay, let's go back uh to uh yes how would i end- i okay actually I'll just keep up here um i would um pay my bills. I'd, I'd pay off my 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 debts, which that amount of money would allow me to do. So I'd finally be free and clear uh, of things. I mean, I'm still <laughs> still paying for that trip I made years ago to visit my son in Australia. I mean, that's how far back my, my stupid bills go. So I'd, I'd deal with that. Um, and then I would probably actually use um, most of the rest of it. I think I would probably take a cruise or vacation, just because I've never, ever done anything like that with Mel, and that would be a cheap, actually relatively cheap thing to do that might be uh, a lot of fun. And that would take care of um, some of it, uh, a good, no, not even half of it, actually, because the rest of it I would use, at uh, least something I've been thinking about, and if I had starting capital like this, it would actually make it, uh, you know, Twenty thousand times easier, forty thousand times easier. Um, I would start a nonprofit. I would start a. I would start my own thing. Um, I've got a company that I use to do this work and all that for tax purposes and stuff. But I would uh, maybe maybe uh, look at at turning that into a nonprofit or starting something from scratch that could educate, inform, and assist. You know, via social media or direct in person. Uh, you know, intervention or help. For people suffering or recovering from coercive control or coercive environments, I'd be very interested in, in setting something up to do that. And I wouldn't necessarily—I'm not talking necessarily about a brick-and-mortar recovery or therapy facility. I wouldn't have enough money there to do that anyway. But um, but some kind of programming and um, and and. You know, work that could be put out there for people that they could access uh, for little or no money. uh, I think they'd have to, you know, put something in for it, but it would be the kind of thing that might help people. From, you know from those from recovering from those kind of situations with the cults gangs you know the violent extremist groups uh, you know domestic situations uh, overcoming that you know there's a lot of the same psychology going on there and I think that um, I think if I could I uh, could set something up or work with other people to set something up um, that'd be awesome that'd be amazing so that's that's actually the you know the the the, the uh, anyway, That's what I think would be fun. All right. Let's go back to our chat here. Okay. um, Cool, cool. Let's go to the questions and start throwing some up on the screen. All right. Anthony starts us off today with, there's a small group of people in Greece who still legit believe in the Greek gods. Will polytheism ever make a comeback? I don't know that polytheism ever went away, um, you know, in, in various parts of the world. But as far as maybe a mainstream comeback, I think you're, you're sort of saying, right, do we, do we hear about it? Do people start, you know, televising events? Do we, uh, do we start hearing about, uh, you know, a, a pantheon of gods that we should be worshipping rather than just the Christian god or Muslim god or Abrahamic god, right? Um, wow. Could that happen? Of course it could. Of course it could. In some ways, it's maybe even overdue to happen. Uh, I mean, it has been thousands of years. We've been pretty hyper-focused on a single deity. And yet, for many, many, many thousands of years prior to that, it was not like that at all. So, um, yeah, we're having some having some fun power issues today. I literally am watching my other computer on the other side of the room uh, shut down or reboot itself right now. It's just been exciting in my neighborhood as far as power goes so i'm this setup over here which is what runs my live stream and everything looks like it's going to be okay it hasn't had any issues so hopefully we're going to be okay um but if i have to get up and go turn that setup off over there i might need to do that i'm going to kind of keep a little side eye on it as we're going um Sorry, guys, for the distraction there. Just life and climate change and and storms and weather and all that. Anyway, um, so, yes. So, anyway, as far as, uh, Anthony, as far as your question goes, absolutely polytheism could totally um, make a, a comeback. Let me go. Let me just take three seconds and go turn this thing off, and I will be right back. And I'm back, thank you. Uh. All right, let's carry on with your questions. Sorry about the distraction, guys, really. am. Uh, okay, from Jehovah's Witnesses to declared apostate, will you consider interviewing Janice Gillum Grady? She went to the Apollo at around 11 or 12. Um, y- yes, I would. Um, I've reached out in that direction. Um, haven't heard anything back. I think maybe it's, you know, collateral damage from um, whatever, all the drama and everything. But, uh, you know, uh, probably at this point, probably not going to happen. I will recommend her books, Commodore's Messenger. Um, they're, they're good books, and they definitely give you a view in history and a historical account of bird's eye, you know, not bird's eye, but uh, deck eye view of, of Scientology and growing up in the Sea Org. Under L. Ron Hubbard as a Commodore's messenger, of you know that's that there's there's very few people who have that perspective, and Janice is one of those few. Um, so you know, valuable stuff. Check it out. Um, okay, let's see what else we've got here. Okay, Exian asks. I saw your episode Saturday with Dr. Leor. I love the deep dive into temporal lobe epilepsy. The traits of lip smacking and fervor made me think of the pillow guy. Do you think he could have TLE? Only based on those two things, I would say I, I would say it's a possibility amongst a, a laundry list of things that might plague that particular individual. The the, the pillow guy. He's definitely fervent beyond. Normalcy, uh, when it comes to his dedication and loyalty to, um, you know, the Red Hat uh, Maga cause, and it's and it's it's really it's it, it's a standout that he is you know the way that he is that he's that he's spent so wasted really so much money and time and his career and his whole professional livelihood to it. So you know, so yes, there's extremism there. Could TLE or some similar, you know, condition be a thing with him? Of course, it could. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's something to look at when you're looking at fervor, especially religious or supernatural fervor, um, as we were going over and the other and the other stuff. You know, what I haven't, I haven't really looked deeply into the pillow guy. <laughs> uh, I wonder about hypergraphia as a, as a, as a, as a thing. Does, you know, yeah, you certainly, um, yeah, I don't know. Be interesting to to dive into that. You know, the only thing, you, the only problem with trying to diagnose or deal with people who are of this extreme nature is getting them to agree to go to, a, a, you know, go see a neurologi- neurologist and get a brain scan and see what's up. I mean, it's an involved thing. It's not just some, you know, 10-minute diagnostic. You, you know, you're going you're gonna to get in there. So it's, you know, it's maybe one of those things where the, where the problem prevents the cure, you know, kind of thing. Okay. Um, All right. OBG Foster. Um, Do you think OSA has people infiltrating the SPTV comments or even moderating? I don't think I am 100% positive that that is happening. Um, Now, some would argue it's not even necessary. It doesn't even need to be that OSA is uh, patrolling the comment lanes and and, uh, running around, you know, dropping little you know, bombs and vitriol and, and hate and, and riling people up and all that, you know, doing what OSA does. Um, you know, but yes, of course they are. Of course they are. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's kind of like, is the sun up today? You know, is, is there a moon? I mean, it's yes. That's absolutely the case. Now, there's it, 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 there's an interesting thing that happens. There's this reaction and counter-reaction that occurs when you bring up OSIN. I think it's worth talking about. Um Because there's this resistance to this idea. There's this, oh, oh, okay, everybody's OSA, is that it? You know, and it's like, thank you for your straw man, right? It's no, that's not, the argument is not everybody's OSA, and everybody has OSA perched on their shoulder. That's not necessary. Agent provocateurs don't need to flood an area to do their job. There only has to be one or two of them, and they just have to go around, right, Feeding out, giving out their little poison pills here, there, here, there. And they go over here and they talk crap, and they talk shit about this guy. And they come over here and they talk shit about this woman. And they come over here and they stir the pot. And they come over here and they praise and compliment this creator. And they come over here and they, you know, give some vanilla praise to this one. And then they come over here and they're using three or four or ten different sock accounts to do this. You know, Tori has described this in detail from her own personal experience with it, and there is no reason to believe that Scientology has changed its operation at all. Beca- and why would they? It's really effective. It is, it's is. It's Sun Tzu. I mean, this is old-style Psy-op warfare. This has been around forever, this isn't some unique thing to Scientology. Even the whole concept of fair game is just a label for very organic behavior that all groups engage in. But again, it's a matter of how dialed up is it. And with cults and fair gaming, it gets dialed up pretty high. You want to destroy and ruin them utterly and that sort of thing. As far as your targets go, you got you got to stay on them. you got to ruin them. It's not just a matter of getting... You know, it's throwing some, lobbing some insults in their direction or making them feel a little bad. It's, no, we're going to destroy this person. And when you see that kind of behavior being riled up in in any group or activity, you know this is, there there is danger, danger, red alert, right? Because this is an indication that this group is now going to start tearing itself apart. And that's, you know, kind of what's going on. Uh, So is OSA in here helping all of that along? Of course they are. And none of us can know with any degree of certainty how many and how often and who and all of that. It really does set up a little bit of a thing, you know, that movie The Thing. (laughs) You know, who is it? Who is it? Is that paranoia thing? And nobody wants that. I don't want that. Nobody else wants that. We don't want everybody pointing fingers at everybody else. Oh, OSA, OSA, OSA. That's not the point. That's never been the point. And I think some people think that's the point, and it's not. If, you're, if the message that you're receiving is that OSA exists and it's, oh, well, everybody's OSA then. No, the point is if we're tearing each other's throats out and, we're, and everybody is trying to, you know, destroy everybody in this drama fest, then maybe, possibly, maybe we could all take a step back review who and what has said who and what to who, right? And kind of go, wait a minute, right? Is this really what this person is? Or is this just what some asshole is telling me this person, you know? And it's not that there aren't assholes. And it's not that there aren't people who don't do bad stuff. Of course there are. And people have free will and agency and can go off and do whatever the hell they want, however awful it is. They can do that on their own. They don't have to be OSA influenced to do that. But you can't discount the possibility that OSA is behind some of this nonsense. And that helps explain, again, it just helps explain some of the behavior. And especially in ex-cult communities where the cults have a very deep vested interest in sowing division into the ex-cult communities because it makes them less effective. And it and it makes them um less able to fight the cult because they're fighting each other. You know? This is counter tactics one oh one, right? Anyway, so there's my commentary, my my soapboxing on that. Okay. Um ha. From Jehovah's Witnesses to declared apostate. Great question. Should it be a crime for JW parents not allowing their child to receive a blood transfusion resulting in the child's death? Yes, of course it should be. I consider it a form of murder. In fact, it's premeditated. It's known. It's understood. And the parents do it anyway because their faith, which is an idea they have in their head and nothing more than that, takes precedence over the scientific fact that their child's going to die without a blood transfusion, and they don't care. And that is murderous. That's murderous intent, and I believe those parents were never, ever fit to be parents in the first place. They shouldn't have children if they think that. Um, Sorry, but that's my take on it, right? If you think your faith is more important than the human being in front of you and their adequate, competent medical care and treatment, you're a monster, you've allowed your faith to turn you into a monster, right? Where human life doesn't mean anything to you because some dream fantasy ideal of some God who's going to you know, care for this uh, spirit uh, you know, for eternity in heaven or something, th- that dream fantasy is more real than the child in front of you. You're sick. There's something seriously wrong with you. And, um, and, we've, and of course, extreme belief, the extremest of beliefs, um, ceases, to it shuts down all ability to critically think on that topic that the person is extreme about. So, of course, they're not competent and able to make um, educated and informed decisions about their child's care, right? Because they're blinded by their faith. And that's dangerous, murderously so. Uh, So, yeah, I feel obviously very strongly about this, you know, and it rubs right up against the freedom of belief and freedom of religion in our country, but it doesn't matter because I don't care how much freedom of belief and ideas and thought you have if you're killing your kid as a result of that. That's insanity. That's not rational thought. That's not faith or something you have a right to. You don't have a right to that. So, um, so, however complicated the execution of all of that is in the real world, yes, it should be a crime. Absolutely. All right, let's carry on here. Um, <laughs> Xian, did you ever use a mimeograph machine to print HCOBs and PLS, for example, during your adventures in Scientology? Do the orgs still use them, or do they order them from Bridge Ore? Okay, great question. Now, what this means is. What he's asking about here is, uh, actually, I'm just assuming ex is a guy all these years I've never actually known. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, when L. Ron Hubbard would write bulletins and policy letters, issues, official dogma for the Church of Scientology, whether it was how to run the organizations or how to deliver the Scientology technology, the methods of it, He would write these down and have them typed up, or he would type them up and have them issued, copied off, and distributed around, mailed out to all of the different churches all over the world. This is how Hubbard's words got around to all the churches back in the day. It was mimeographed. It was like copied. It was like a Xerox copy. And, um, and it wasn't a copy machine, it was a mimeograph machine, slightly different thing. You could use different colored inks, but it was basically the same kind of way to duplicate something you know, many, many times. Um, this has now been taken over by literal color copiers. They don't have mimeograph machines anymore. They have color copiers, and that's what they use to do mimeograph printing in the orgs. Uh, it's all part of the ideal org setup that they all get fitted up with a color copier, um, and they have all the different you know color papers and all that, and they can print any issue type they want, and that's all on PDF. Libraries that are that are uh, uh, in the org computers. That's how it's done now. Um, I've used all these systems. I mimeograph stuff back in the day. I used the color copier mimeograph machine that they use now. I've done all of that stuff uh, in the org. So yeah, it's. It's, uh, that's what they're doing, and I know they don't still have to order issues from Bridge or from uh, Mimeo anymore, there's no Mimeo graphing going on anywhere in Scientology that I'm aware of any more than they're sending telexes anymore. It's all emails, it's all digital uh, traffic, and uh, they just format it to look like the anarchistic old school stuff that Hubbard wrote about, but, they, um, but it's all just email tech and, and uh, digital technology. Um, okay, Love Food Kitchen, would you consider changing the format so that these Q&A shows are live three weeks to four maybe, but perhaps with a mix of chat questions and ones sent in? These lives are such an upgrade to the pre-records, love them. Okay, well, thank you for that feedback on this. That's good to know because I have actually had it reversed in my head where I was mostly doing pre-recorded Q&As and then I was doing lives once a month. And more recently, lately, over the last few months, you've seen me increase how many lives I've been doing because I get positive feedback on them from you guys. And it seems like this is what's wanted. So I thought this week, and I've done it a couple times in the past, I'd throw some pre-recorded questions into the mix so I could still get to the queue, my my, my famous question queue, right, that I have. um, But at the same time, still be able to interact with you guys directly and do the live stream. So... Um, if you know, you all just keep giving me feedback on what you want from me and I'll do my best to deliver it this way. So your feedback is noted. And, uh, if we need to sort of flip the script and do more lives, it's easier for me in some ways to do live streaming as far as my production and editing and all of that goes so it's no skin off my nose or back or whatever either way for me to do them live or do them pre-recorded I either way works for me so y'all let me know in the comments if it's important to you or you have feelings about this one way or the other let me know okay good and that's that's that uh, great question. So, young matador, all right, what do we have here? Okay, Chris, 10 years on from your first foray into YouTube, what have been your personal highs and lows? Okay, great question. Um, gotta think about that one for a second personal highs and lows. Um, I've given Coke so much free advertising over the years they should totally be sponsoring my show. <laughs> One of the personal highs for me years and years ago probably my personal pinnacle moment on YouTube and I and this is going to sound so whatever but um was years ago when I asked my wife to marry me on YouTube <laughs> on a live stream. <laughs> that was actually a real big high for me. That was a lot of fun. YouTube has, has seriously been um, a, a great deal of fun in a lot of ways over the years, right? Uh, my first live stream, um, my first successful live stream, uh, you know, proposing to my wife, Um, you know, announcing when I felt like I had actually hit a pinnacle of recovery from Scientology where it wasn't ruling my thinking or my, or my language or my concepts, my action habits and patterns anymore. Those were all high, high moments for me, um, that I got to talk about here or, or or discuss with you guys. And I think those have been, um, those have been real highs for me. Um. Let's see, lows, eh, you know, kind of the shit that's been going on recently, it's been pretty low for me, it's been pretty downer, Uh, watching this community eat itself and tear each other apart and that kind of thing, and watching that, the effects of my channel, you know, on my channel, that's kind of sucked, that hasn't been fun right? Watching people, you know, think I'm some asshat for stuff that I've never said or done, or, you know, that's, that blows me away. But it's, you know, okay, fine. I, you learn, you learn. It's the, you know, it's the uh, negative side of being a public figure, putting yourself out there is you're going to get that and you got to roll with it. So, um, so those are the highs and lows. I don't know. There you go. Uh, all right. <laughs> ex if you won $100 million, would you still produce content for YouTube? You're goddamn right I would. Absolutely. Uh, I would just do it in a different way, right? Like, like I was mentioning, if I could start, if I had the capital to actually start some kind of nonprofit or some kind of, like, foundation or some kind of outfit that could really, really, you know, work on coercive control and, and, and helping people from that. I would absolutely still be producing YouTube content to help people with that or direct them uh, in that direction or educate or inform or something like that. YouTube is too good of a platform and there's too many people who can be reached through it to to ignore the potential of it. That's why I'm still here and still going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I, got, I got big plans of other things I want to do in terms of books and stuff like that that I want to um, get going on this year, but... Um, but YouTube is just kind of to, to been too much part of my life for the last 10 years for me to just kind of walk away from it or, or, uh, or not continue to use it to reach people as best I can. You know, that's kind of how I think about it, at least right now. Now, of course, obviously if I had a hundred million dollars, I might start my own damn YouTube, you know, I mean, it's not like YouTube is the best platform to be on there are way better ways to do this i just it's just that this platform is so has so much reach built into it you know that's that's the thing that it really has that that um that keeps me here more than anything else okay so uh there we go um anthony spurgeon do you know much about cryptids is there one you are most interested in, or you think is likely to exist? Do you think belief in these creatures overlaps with religious type belief? Um. Okay, you got me on this one, Anthony. I really don't know what that. And that name sounds familiar, but I'm not remembering. Cryptids. Oh, okay. Oh, cryptozoology, uh, pseudoscience, studies and searches for animals or other creatures whose existence is unrecognized or disputed by science, alien big cats, cactus cat, cryptids, animals that cryptozoologists believe may exist somewhere in the wild, but whose present existence is disputed. Ah, got it. Like Bigfoot or the abominable snowman or the Loch Ness Monster might be examples of cryptids, I guess. Um, So, no, obviously, I don't know much about them. I know what I studied when I was a kid, uh, when I was deep into, you know, the paranormal and ESP and and telepathy and and psychic stuff. You know, we all, I think a lot of us uh, dived into that section of the library when we were kids. I lived there for a while. I was really into the paranormal and uh, and so I know about it from that time and, and kind of keeping up with stuff. I mean, there's a big thing here in Colorado uh, about Bigfoot. There's dudes hunting, hunting Bigfoot, you know, here in Colorado and stuff. I hear about that every now and again. Um, but I, and I was very interested for the longest time. I thought there was a reality to the Loch Ness Monster. I thought it was very, very possible that there could be some, you know, old, Species of of lizard creature or something living there that just got you know evolutionarily sort of stuck there or something. I thought that was a legit idea uh, many many years ago. I've I, I've since sort of uh, drowned my 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 thoughts and hopes about that uh, in the reality of look they've they've son you know sono, sonar sonar grafted and and searched and searched and searched all throughout the lock uh, nest for this monster, and it's just not there, right? So,, um, so I'm, you know, kind of don't really believe in that kind of stuff now. But do I think belief in these creatures overlaps with religious type belief? Absolutely, Of course it does in terms of motivations or reasoning. Again, it comes all back down to emotional needs, people's uh, data set, Right. What, what, it, what information do they have to think with in their life? Right, What are they educated with? What, are they, what is their group telling them? And what do they want to believe? What do they need to believe? What, what is it that drives their thinking and, and view of the world? That's what's going to determine whether they're going to believe in stuff like this. And it's very akin to uh, other kinds of belief, whether it's supernatural belief, religious belief, paranormal belief. You know, any of that kind of stuff is all fed by our needs, and uh, and when it's harmless, I really couldn't care less. You know, it's all all in good fun. Uh, okay, young Matador, do you know the latest with the Nexium cult? Is it even still going? Um, it's still going to the degree that there are believers. I believe the. Um, I think one of the sisters, one of those rich Brofman sisters or something is still kind of on board. I think there's a few people who are still vaguely loyal to Keith Rainier in some fashion or another, but it's pretty dead. I mean, there's still the belief set, and there's still people who practice Nexium practices, but I believe the majority of that group has been disbanded. Certainly, as a corporate entity, it's no longer in existence. But that doesn't prevent anybody from taking all of it and you know starting their own thing, because uh, you know, unless Keith's going to sue them from jail for copyright infringement or something. Anyway, Nexium's kind of a pretty toxic image at this point, so you'd want to take it and turn it into something else, just like Keith did. When he was ripping off Scientology and other groups to create Nexium in the first place, right? It's really just something that people will pillage now. I think more so than keep 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 it going as Nexium. Uh, I think it's a pretty small pretty small outfit at this point, but it is still going. There's so there's something going there, but I, again, I think it's very personal. I don't think it's an organizational. I don't think you can go to a website or go someplace and pay for Nexium classes anymore and get the sashes and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's going on anymore. But I, but if anybody is more informed on this, and there's plenty of people I'm sure who are, uh, you know, let me know. All right, Fabian, uh, how did your Scientology upbringing affect your view on self? help? Huh. That's an interesting question. See, when I grew up, as I was growing up as a kid, there was astral projection and spirituality and a lot of stuff going on in the 70s and 80s. You know, this sort of... um Going out of your body, these extra, you know, paranormal experiences that people were having, astral projection, this idea of projecting out of your body, but there was this, this sort of anchor coming out the back of your spiritual self, connected to your body, you know, this kind of thing. I remember learning about these things when I was a kid, reading books or seeing stuff. My mom even had had books, uh, you know, about some of this stuff because it was sort of akin or sort of bordering on Scientology principles. And I remember thinking when I saw that stuff how fascinating it was like, wow, is this real? Could this be real? And I related it to movies I saw, like Poltergeist, which, with the book version of uh, Poltergeist, the, 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 the uh, what do they call it? The novelization of the story, right? Had a lot of stuff about, you know, other dimensions and creatures in them and stuff. And I, I'm I'm relating all of this to self-help because this was all around an industry of by doing astral projection and by doing exteriorization processes or by, you know, finding out your inner self, you were helping, you were learning about who you really are and your true state. That was all the flow of the books and the stuff that my mom or other TV shows I saw, stuff like that. Anyway, I guess I'm only, I'm, I, I'm sort of saying this was what I kind of grew up with thinking about self-help. If, if you said to me self-help, this was the stuff that came to mind. And I always thought of it as interesting, but ultimately foolish and misguided because Hubbard had it all figured out. So I was told. And so why would you need to go off and do any of this other stuff? when Scientology has it all figured out already. And even as a child I thought those things, because that's what I was told. So it was always sort of this heavy bias leaning into Scientology as the thing that actually solved it. Even though I knew that I didn't yet understand all of Scientology, or or even a part of it really. I only had a few concepts, a few ideas of it. Um, the reactive mind, engrams, Dutch assists, study technology, the misunderstood words, stuff like that. Those were the parts that were really laid into me as a kid. And the morality, the moral uh, foundations of Scientology, overt withholds, don't you know, confess your sins, all that kind of stuff. That was really laid into me as a kid. So. I thought that system of Scientology, even if I didn't fully understand it yet, had all the answers that I was ever going to need or want, and eventually I would find them all out. So any other self-help group or any other self-help activity was always looked at me as, a, I always looked at it as a little bit of a, ah, uh, they're trying, but, you know, it's not, they don't have all the real answers, all the real answers we have, right? So even as a kid, I kind of thought that way. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I remember, at least. Uh, okay, there you go. Um, oh, yes, thank you. Mitzi Francis, great question. Even after listening to your excellent videos on auditing, I'm still confused about why it's referred to as similar to counseling, quote-unquote. I work in the behavioral health field and don't see similarities. Thanks. Your Absolutely right. It's not the same thing. It's not even really similar. But I and many other ex-members of Scientology use the word counseling because that's what we're told it is when we're in Scientology. And it's the only comparison or analogy we can make to try to communicate what it is or what it's trying to do. We thought, as Scientologists, that it was pastoral counseling. That's how it's described in Scientology. So it's the word that we would use. And I used it for years until I finally learned what actual therapy and counseling really looks like and the guidelines and ethical boundaries of that counseling. Auditing doesn't have any of those boundaries or guidelines. So it's not the same thing at all. And what you're doing in a counseling session versus an auditing session in Scientology, polar opposite. Uh, Scientology auditing is much more akin to a police interrogation than it is to mental health therapy. But a lot of us, I especially, uh, did not really get the difference any more, any more than I, than I understood the difference when I first got out of Scientology between a Catholic confessional and a Scientology confessional. Way different things. Very different. Method is different. Purpose is different. How it's conducted is different, right? Everything is different. But we use the same word, confessional. Shouldn't. We really shouldn't. But we we only have those words because... Otherwise, you—I don't know—you'd probably have to call auditing a torture session or something. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's it, it, what do you call it? And and that's what we struggle with uh, as ex-members uh, trying to communicate about this stuff. Actually, it, it, it is difficult. Uh, the struggle is real. <laughs> but your point is perfect, Mitzi. You're you're spot on. It should not be called counseling. Auditing is not that. Um. Fabian, ex needs its own reality TV. What do you think? Uh, I think that, um, I think it already exists. I think it's already happening. And, uh, and that, uh, yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> From Jehovah's Witnesses to Declared Apostate, are there OSA members who work in every Scientology org? Um, there are supposed to be. Every single Church of Scientology is supposed to have a staff member working in it whose job is the Director of Special Affairs. That is a department in Division 7 of every Scientology church that exists, every one of them. So there should be a posted OSA representative everywhere. But personnel demands and uh, scarcities mean that there are not DSAs or Directors of Special Affairs in every Scientology church. So they will double and triple up where they will have certain um, they'll have somebody maybe posted let's say there's a let's, let's just say hypothetically you had a Director of Special Affairs posted at the Kansas City Church of Scientology. So ostensibly that person's uh, zone of at responsibility would be Kansas City or the state of Kansas or, or um, Missouri, right? Um, but let's say St. Louis Church of Scientology doesn't have a DSA. And let's say that the Twin Cities Minnesota Church doesn't have a DSA. So this Kansas City dude might find himself having to deal with OSA stuff with other churches too, um, they will do that to to, to deal with it because the function has to be covered by somebody, and it can't be other org staff members. The OSA stuff is super siloed. Uh, what goes on in OSA stays in OSA. So the other staff usually are utterly clueless what's going on in department. Twenty, the Department of Special Affairs. Okay, they just don't know. Uh, they're they're kept out. The doors are kept closed and locked. There are safes. There's file cabinets with locks on them. I mean, uh, the OSA takes their security very seriously, and no other staff um, get to double up where they're doing OSA stuff and they're doing other stuff too. Gen- that's vi- that's very rare. I, I I've I've never seen it. In fact, I've never seen anybody who was doing a who was doing the OSA work and also doing, you know, course room supervision or auditing or running the org or regging or something. I've never, it's always, you know, that's all they do. Anyway, uh, that's what I've seen organizationally with that. Uh, Fabian, how do you see the right to record everybody you want in public? Would making protesting in Europe a lot, would make protesting in Europe a lot easier. <laughs> um, okay how do I feel about it how do I see it um, I'm not sure what the European restrictions are on that because I'm, I've always assumed that if you're in a public place you're kind of open to being recorded on digital media no matter or film um, ever since cameras have been invented I've sort of figured that's how it was if there are laws or restrictions against that in Europe that's interesting maybe with official like I know that you know documentaries and stuff have to have to you know, blur out people's faces who haven't given permission to, to be filmed and stuff. Um, I know there's restrictions like that kind of everywhere, but as far as um, as far as right to record, I mean, generally speaking, I feel that people have a right to record anywhere they go unless you're dealing specifically with some private institution or organization that forbids you from doing that on their, on their grounds or property. And certainly military installations and whatnot where there's literal state secrets or national security issues um, would forbid you from doing that. And it makes sense. There would be, there's always lines in the sand, right? There's always places or, or situations or contexts where it's not okay. You just can't do it here for X, Y, or Z reason. And that makes sense. But generally speaking, I would support the idea that you could record people in public doing public level things, just not following them into their house and, you know, crap like that. Um, you know, I don't think it's right that you would stand outside somebody's house and film inside their windows and force them to live a life of solitude and, and you know, and avoiding your harassment and stalking. I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's okay, period, no matter who it is. But, you know, ask me when I'm mad. Maybe I'll give you a different answer, right? <laughs> so... No, I do think I do think people should be able to record, uh, you know, in public spaces, uh, you know, however they want. I, I, I do think, generally speaking, that should be a right. Um, but of course, it's complicated, and there's different contexts. So it's uh, other than saying that in a general sense, it's kind of like okay, but right, and there's a lot of buts. All right. Um, will you ever come to a point where you rarely, if ever, talk about Scientology? I hope not. Um, I don't know. It keeps coming up. It's very useful as a case study. It's very useful for examples. It's something I am more familiar with in my life than anything else, um, as a subject matter. So odds are I'm going to keep talking about it uh, or using it in one sense or another. But I want to be clear about something, which is this is my 10 years and. After I'm done with this tone scale and metering video this year, I'm moving on from Scientology. I mean, I'm not going to keep producing content solely about Scientology. You're not going to see me do breakdowns on any of the books or any of the beliefs or anything anymore as dedicated content. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to appear on other people's channels or collaborate or use scientology as a useful case study if it comes up like with the tle thing that was a perfect example of the kind of thing you might see me continue to do in the future because it's useful to use l ron hubbard as a case study for a much bigger problem that all that a lot of cult leaders i think suffer from right so you might see me talk about it that way for sure um, but you're not going to see me making videos about what's wrong with the ARC triangle anymore. You know that kind of thing. I, I it's maybe that's a little loose in my, uh, and maybe it's a little loose in my head still too. I want to give myself the freedom and right to, you know, make whatever the hell content I want. But, um, but I'm definitely kind of past talking about Scientology all the damn time, right? There's so much more in this field and around these concepts to talk about. Uh, and, And there's a lot of interesting deep dives to do in the cult world on other cults. And that's really kind of where my curiosity lies these days is I want to move on from this because after you've said everything there is to say multiple times... Uh, you know for me, I'm now curious about well, what do I not know about the j w s or the Mormons or the this or the that? What can I get into? what kind of you know trouble can I stir up in those areas or bring more to the table, bringing those things in so it's not just always so hyper focused on scientology stuff you've been you've seen me doing this stuff for years already. It's not like I've never touched any of this other stuff I've been all over it, but I would really like, for example, to get back. A way to um to put back into play a three apostates model right where i i'm not going to get lloyd evans again but maybe i could work with some other people from some other groups and we could do a you know round robin compare and contrast series stuff like that i'd be happy to do that kind of thing so don't worry you'll still hear about scientology stuff on my channel for probably forever (laughs) all right uh great question though thanks for asking um Fluffy Wickets, what has the impact of the recent drama been on you, other long-term ex-Scientologists, activists, and the perception of Scientologists ready to leave and looking for help? I think there's a general – I can only speak for myself. I'm not going to try to put any words or uh, ideas in anybody else's – it, 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 as though as though I'm representing anybody else, I'm not. It's just me. Okay. So from my position, from my vantage point, um, I'm saddened by the um, by, by all the drama, all the trauma, drama, and all of the noise that it generates. Um, and people. And no matter, I, I'm also upset by the fact that no matter what words I use, or what I say, or how I say it. It can be misconstrued and will be misconstrued in the worst possible way. That's very disappointing because that's new. That's not something that has always been that way in this community. People have had disagreements and upsets, but um, but this is it, it's just gone way, way, way overboard. And now there's a there's a cruelty and an eagerness to spill the tea and and dish on it everybody else and sort of this one-upmanship, weird, weird, you know, sort of very immature sort of approach to this whole stuff. Um, that's very upsetting. It's very disappointing. It's very distracting and it's, it's, you know, and even uh, disconcerting, there's a lot of words for, for how that makes me feel. Um, which is, and again, that's why I'm just kind of, nope, drama-free zone. I'm not part of any of that, right? I can't be, it, it's just not my thing. Um, so it's, so there's a separation and a kind of ugh, to it, you know, that's just kind of sad. Um, And as far as the perception of Scientologists ready to leave and looking for help, it's a problem because it's so noisy and so finger-pointy and so opinionated now that new people, you know, former members trying to come into this and sort out who should they listen to and who's got what, nobody can tell anymore, right? And there's a devaluation of recovery, of of all the concepts connected with recovery of of understanding trauma of understanding cult dynamics of understanding attachment and disorganized attachment and 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 how relationships work and codependency and uh, much less propaganda manipulation and coercive control right these concepts and these ideas are important and they're important to understand but there's there 's so much confusion being generated by all the personality drama that it drowns out any of this educational material. The education is devalued it is derided and ridiculed. I have been ridiculed and derided for this as though i 'm on you know i 'm trying to use my education as though i 'm uh, uh, making less of people or something when all i 'm really trying to do is share it as fast as I get it. You know, I mean, literally, while I'm doing my program, I'm trying to share this information, right? And it's just kind of devalued. It's just, ah, that's not important. Who cares, you know? Um, that's very sad. That's, that's a little disappointing. But it's confusing. It makes it confusing for new people coming into the space. So I hope that, you know, things chill out eventually. Okay. Um, here's a question. How much time is a Scientology public... Required to spend time for Scientology in his or her free time. Okay, you're asking how, how, how often, how much time do public people have to put in on Scientology? They are all encouraged to be on course minimum 15 hours a week. Um, some places they're forbidden from even being on course if they can't put in 15 hours a week. Either a combination of nights, days, weekend time, right? You figure it out. Um, some public do an awful lot more than that, but it's generally, generally speaking, the minimum amount of time that they want public involved with Scientology in their lives is 12 and a half to 15 hours a week. As far as a number, that's the number. Um, they're always pushing for more, they always want more from you. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, do the lives for a European is perfect weekending. Do you agree? Sure. I mean, if it works for you guys, fine for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm Like I said, I'm going to keep tally of what answers come in on this, but odds are we'll, we'll, we'll definitely pump up the lives. Okay. Um, Jay, what do you think turns a benign, cultish leader into a million I'm noticing a change in behavior in one of the YouTube creators I follow. So he gains more and more subscribers. Um, okay. Um, what I can say... Here's what I can say about this is... Um, you never can tell what's going to happen with somebody because you don't know what exists inside of them. Um, I have said for a long time now that money, influence, power will bring out whatever is inside of you to bring out. If it's if if it if there are unsavory characteristics within you or. You know, there's an ego or there's a, there, there are weaknesses. They're going to be, you know, they're going to come up. They're going to be uh, exaggerated by more influence and more money and more power. That's what those things do to people. Um, they make you more of whatever it is you already are. Because you have more ability with the influence and power and money that you have, your reach, your ability to extend your will is increased, right? It expands. You're able to do more, have more, say more, reach more, because you have these resources now uh, uh, at your control, at your disposal. So whatever it is you want to be doing, whatever it is that's in you that wants to come out, that's what's going to come out. Um, And not And not always in a bad way at all. Lots and lots and lots of times people get money and power, and they do great things with it. They do wonderful things with it. This is not a rant that everybody's got some evil demon inside of them just waiting to come out. That's not the point at all. But some people do, and some people don't. And some people are kind of vanilla. They're kind of, you know, they don't really have much of anything going on, right? They get money, they spend it, whatever. It's not really, they're not about causes or help or you know whatever, but they're not about hurting people either. They don't want to secretly destroy their enemies and this kind of thing. So they don't really do much of anything with it. But then you get some people who will get this money and power or subscribers and followers and all that influence, right? And they will use their influence to do what? feed themselves, feed their ego, or, you know, push it back out into society, uh, you know, help people, that kind of thing, right? What do you do with it? Um, so, so I think that whatever it is that turns people, you know, like ego, um, answering your question, what do you think turns a benign, cultish leader into a malignant one? Opportunity, desire, will, uh, ego, um, temptation, of course, right when when people are tempted with power or corruption, some people just aren 't up to it they don 't have the moral fiber or integrity to deal with it and and i'm not acu- i 'm not pointing any fingers at anybody right now i 'm talking in a very general sense i 'm serious i 'm not talking about any one person right now i 'm um, saying that there are people who who deal with it well and there are people who don't And you don't really know what's gonna come out until it starts coming out. And then you're like, whoa. And it doesn't even and it's not even like it has to be that way or has to always be that way. You know, individuals who lose their minds or go off the rails or take their influence and and, you know and go off a cliff, they can come back from that and they can do something better with their lives as a result. And I'll give you a great example of this is Robert Downey Jr. There's an example of somebody who took on, you know, countless opportunities uh, and potential. I mean, he had all this potential, right, as this young actor. And he just, you know, young actors, young kids growing up in, in the industry, right, in the celebrity industry. What do we see? We see them lose their damn minds, right? But then sometimes they come back. Sometimes they get rehabilitated. Sometimes they get therapy. Sometimes they get help and they go, oh, my God. And they come back from that. And I think he's an example of, of, of that right, would be as, a, as somebody I could point to as a positive example of somebody who, you know, goes off the edge and then comes back. Anyway, hope all that, hope all that makes sense. I'm not even seeing any of the comments and stuff right now, but, uh, okay. Purple, if you could interview any living person. Oh, my God, it's already been an hour, Ah, you guys. All right, I don't think we're going to get to all the questions, but I'm going to try to do a few more. I don't know. I'm having fun. What do you guys uh, think? Are we... Seems good. Okay. Let's carry on. Uh, if you could interview any living person on your channel, who would you pick? Uh, I wish you'd said any person ever because I would have said Carl Sagan, but he's, he's passed. So as far as anybody I could interview on my channel... Oh, my God. Anybody. If I, could, if I could get real answers out of him, somebody like an Elon Musk would be a fascinating interview to do. Oh, that'd be interesting. Um, Keith Ranieri would be a fucking fascinating interview too. So would David Miscavige in a few ways. You Have to prep for that one. That would be interesting. Like some of those kind of guys would be, would be interesting interviews. Um, but there's also, there's, there's other people uh, of note that I would very, very, very much like to interview on my channel that are probably more, more a little more realistic than Keith Rainier. I'm thinking of like Dr. Bandy Lee. She's a Harvard trained, um, psych, uh, psychiatrist. Or, uh, she has a, she has a theory regarding, um, contagion of hysteria, which I find absolutely fascinating. I really would like to get her on my channel. Um. Anyway, that would be an interesting one to do, Dr. Bandy Lee. Um, Andrew Huberman would be a fucking fascinating conversation to have about neuroscience and cult stuff. That would be an interesting conversation to have, yeah, for sure. Um, those are some names that come to mind, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a lot out, maybe too many, but those are, the, the, those are what come to mind. Um, okay. Okay. One of my favorite superhero characters, X-Sign, asks, was Doctor Strange because of the mystic background? What about you? Iron Man, that's my guy. Uh, Tony Stark, man. that's that's He's my guy. Uh, again, talk about a redemption arc. Not only Robert Downey Jr., but the character he plays, Tony Stark. <laughs> um, I do like the Doctor Strange mystic background. I was I really did enjoy the first Doctor Strange movie. I actually really enjoyed that one a lot um, before it got all into the multiverse of madness. Madness, but um, yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. That's that's my that's my thing. I used to be a lot more mystical and supernatural in my in 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 my entertainment the things that would appeal to me. Now I'm a little bit more techno and practical kind of stuff now. Um. Okay, carrying on here. Young Matador, there's been a big expose. Yes, there has. I saw this in the Guardian Observer newspapers about Narconon UK this weekend. Is Narconon as a whole now just too much of a hindrance to the Church of Scientology? Um, it's pretty bad, yeah. The Narcanon is is a pretty big albatross around Scientology's neck, so to speak, right? It's not. It's kind of a monkey on their back because of all the bad toxic press that it's gotten. Because it's a dangerous, even fatal program. Not good stuff. Not scientific at all. Very, very, very not scientific. Excuse me. So, um, yeah, Narcanon's not. You know, they thought. For a long time, in the early 2000s, Miscavige thought Narconon was going to be a huge path to expansion for Scientology, and they invested millions and millions of dollars and years of work in trying to upgrade and showcase Narconon facilities, and it just bombed miserably. And there were deaths in Oklahoma and I think a few other places. Um, It's just, it's bad, and and it deservedly so. So yeah, definitely a hindrance. Uh, okay. How is Tony Ortega doing with his cancer? Uh, As far as I know, Tony is great. Uh, totally recovered, totally fine. Successful surgery. That's what he's told me. So there you go. Um, all right. Let's see what else we've got here. Looking at the last couple of questions, I'm going to take like two more, and I want to select them here, I guess. Um, Bud123, did you come across psychopaths in Scientology? If you did, how did you deal with them? Yes, I did. I, I have said a few times that there were a handful of people who, even if they came out of Scientology, I would never, ever want to interact or deal with them in any way. Those are the people I'm talking about, pure psychopaths. The security chief in Pack, uh, this guy Ryan um, uh, Boswell was his name. There was um, Rebecca Fear, the person who headed up the um, the estates division of the PAC Sea Org base when I was there. She was an absolute nutcase, total psycho. Um, she would just, she would, she would not just rant. She would scream at you with this look. On her face, like, like it would be nothing if she had a ceremonial dagger in her hand. It would be nothing for her to carve your heart out. That was that was who she was, right? And then there was this woman from Osa, uh, who I've talked about, Pam Bowen, complete psychopath. Um, yeah, they were bad, bad people. How did I deal with them? By by not dealing with them, by staying as far away from them as I possibly could, as often as I could. I didn't want to be anywhere near those people. That you never knew what was going to set them off. You never, ever felt safe or secure around them. It was a lot like being around David Miscavige. You were just on eggshells all the time around them. Um, and even when they were going off on other people, I never felt safe or secure uh, around them. They could turn on you just like that. And vicious, like cruel. It was, there was a viciousness to them. It wasn't a, it wasn't a display they were doing, that was who they were, right? Psychos. Ugh. Okay. (laughs) And Michelle Carpenter. Hey, Michelle. Uh, Did you ever join or come close to joining an MLM anytime after leaving Scientology? I did not. No. I have never joined an MLM or or even been drawn to one. Um, Thankfully, right, because of my cult education uh, for the most part. They are lucrative, uh, or sorry, not lucrative. They are, um, what's the word? They are tempting. They are, they are, right? They're very inviting. Uh, they can be MLMs, multi-level, we're talking about multi-level marketing schemes, right? Herbalife, you know, all these scammy product things that you can get rich now. Um, yeah, Uh, fortunately I have not ever been tempted in that direction. Uh, and I, and I really try, you know, to, to get the word out so other people won't be too. Um, Okay. And then finally, let's go ahead and wrap up on this one. Joe Deceppo. thank you for your show with Dr. Yuval Leor. It was fascinating and a little scary to see what can happen with such a relatively minor brain change. Do you have any similar shows planned? Um, not at this time, but I want to do more on this. I want to find... Um, more neuroscientists that I can bring on to talk more about. Or neuropsychologists is what I'd really like to find so that I can find somebody who's kind of multidisciplinary and will understand and talk intelligently about the psychology side as well as the neuroscience side. So I'm kind of on the hunt for somebody like that, but that'll probably be a few months from now um, that, I, that I try to uh, really go on the hunt and search that because right now I'm still trying to wrap up the, the Scientology stuff that I was talking about. Um, So, yes, you will absolutely see more like that on this channel, no question about it. Uh, But I need to find the guests and stuff. You're going to see some really good stuff coming up in the future on um, – more, more detail on psychological interventions and, and, and treatment modalities and stuff like that. Again, I'm not a therapist, but I'm going to bring therapists on to talk about stuff that can be done because it's not just therapists who can do therapeutic work. Any of us can help any of us, and we should as much as we can, and not try to take licensed therapy out of context and use that, but there's other things we can do and should be doing and i and i want to encourage that kind of thing and teach people more about that and so that's that's definitely will be uh future uh stuff on this on this channel all right and wow with all of that i think we have um gotten to uh our thing here Huh. Lucy uh, just threw a question at Michelle, which I'll definitely take a look at here real fast. Oh, hey, Alex! Um, oh, let me take a look at that question too. Oh, you guys keep your guys are keeping me here. Hey, stop it! <laughs> uh, Michelle, uh, there, there's this question from Lucy: Are there any MLMs that aren't harmful that are just straightforward about the structure, etc.? No, there aren't. There aren't. Not one. They're not, they're not multi-level marketing schemes, if they are. They're legit businesses, right? MLMs, one for one for one. It's like asking if there's a good destructive cult out there. There isn't, right? There's no version of Scientology that's good for you. There's no version of Amway that makes sense, right? They're all scams, all the way to the core. It's literally the business model itself, right, the MLM business model. It's a very specific thing you can't mistake it for you know once you understand it it's very clear what you're looking at uh anyway so it's good it's good stuff to know um and then um oh let me oh i missed the other uh other thing there anyway good <laughs> thank you alex for that um <laughs> to avoid process service. All right, you guys are awesome. Let's go ahead and uh, and wrap up here. I think I um, just want to check one last little thing. There it is. Okay, there we go. I wanted to see this one last thing Alex had posted. Did I miss it? Oh, I see. No, no, no problem, no problem. Okay, guys, thanks for coming around and watching. Um, Buy my book. Check out my channel. There's a library of resources for you here. This is not just a bunch of, you know, current content that's that's dead uh, on arrival and no good for you a few days later. The stuff on this channel is good for you forever. It's called evergreen content, right? Dive in. Check it out. There's a ton of stuff for you. And of course, if you like the channel and you like what I'm doing and you want to support me, which would be awesome because this is totally fan funded, um, you can join me on Patreon. Uh, You can use PayPal, buy me a coffee, Venmo, whatever. There are links to all of this in the description section of all my videos. And of course, you can contact me for personal consultation. Um, I can go one on one with you and I can help, I can listen, I can educate. I can inform, I can do whatever I can do to help. And I love, I love doing that work. It, it, it's, it, it's very helpful to help people. Okay, with all that, let's wrap up. Uh, I will see you guys tomorrow on um, After Scientology, Straight Up and Vertical, we'll post on Monday. And then I will see you on the 7th for the 10th anniversary show. All right, bye-bye.